in B2B marketing circles right now, there is a lot of talk around this idea of becoming a media brand or acquiring a media brand or finding some way of incorporating the word media into your marketing. And there have been some really successful case studies over the last three months of companies launching their own media entities. There's Lavender Land from Lavender. This is the professional email inbox. There's the flow from Hockey Stack. His love for last touch attribution is only outweighed by his obsession for first touch attribution. I mean, even going back a few years with HubSpot buying The Hustle, a very popular newsletter, this idea of businesses eschewing this kind of more conventional inbound marketing approach with the idea of effectively emulating some of the best media companies in the world is a really interesting one. And it really resonates with me personally because at the start of my career, I actually reported on the media industry, specifically on the future of television, where we discuss the intersection of media and technology in sport and entertainment. I'm Jason Bradwell. And I remember reporting on Netflix as it was transitioning from the DVD by mail business into this crazy new technology called video streaming. And I feel like that offers me kind of a unique perspective on some of the mistakes they made, the opportunities they capitalized on, binge watching, for example, releasing entire series in one go, investing in original content. All of that, I feel, gives me a unique perspective on how those lessons can be applied into a B2B marketing environment. I'm seeing a lot of companies talking about becoming a media company and often where they start is they start in launching their own podcast and I understand why they do this it's a media rich format it gives you audio obviously but you can also record video and then package and repackage that asset into a dozen different ones that can be distributed across all of your channels podcasts are great for building brand leveraging influences for activating partnerships demonstrating thought leadership but there is often a problem in getting an initiative like launching a podcast and taking your first step into becoming a media brand. And that is getting buy-in from the C-suite. The executive team, they want to see numbers. They want to invest in programs that give them a high degree of confidence there is going to be a return on investment. They want to know that it's creating leads, it's helping close leads, and perform in the way that a more conventional blog or inbound marketing program is going to perform. As we progressed and as we started trying to grow it into a bigger show and include more, we did face some of that pushback. What about the downloads? What about the dollars invested in? What return are we seeing on it? And yeah, that's been a challenge internally. Oh, that's my guest on this show, Lauren. I'll let her introduce herself. I'm Lauren Lynch. I am Director of Marketing at Set Solutions. We are a cybersecurity reseller and integrator based in Houston, Texas. I want to pick up on something that Lauren said a moment ago, which is this idea around downloads and downloads being used as the measure of success for a podcast. Here at B2B Better, we help a lot of service and solution-based tech businesses launch their own branded podcasts. Before we ever pick up a microphone or start reaching out to guests to book interviews, the question that we put to our customers is, what is success going to look like? How are we going to know that this was a good use of our marketing dollars? And the answer we often get back is something like downloads, right? 
And I understand it's a quantifiable metric. It's something that we can stick into a dashboard. And as long as the number is increasing, we know we're on the right path. That is not going to work with the C-suite, particularly in the current climate that we're in. What they're looking to see is attribution, right? They want to see that for every $1 they put into marketing, they're generating $3 in sales. Now, podcasts are notoriously hard to measure attribution against. You can do it. There are ways that you can do it. And we're going to talk about that a little later on this podcast. But all I'll say for now is that if you're going to be using downloads as your primary measure of success, you're really going to be fighting an uphill battle because downloads, particularly in relatively niche or targeted industries where maybe your total number of addressable accounts is only a thousand and maybe at best only 20 to 30 percent of those accounts will ever tune into your podcast with any degree of frequency the number is always going to be in the eyes of your c-suite too low and further downloads don't give you any of the things that your c-suite are looking for from their marketing program that their sales team can actually go out and activate be that email addresses or phone numbers or other ways of developing a one-to-one relationship with your prospective customers. In essence, downloads do not give you attribution. Here's what Lauren had to say about that. We can't track exactly who it is. So even as we start to see higher downloads, they don't love that we don't have emails, we don't have names. It's a handful of things like locations, how many downloads, which medium they're using. But actual metrics are what they're looking for, something they can drop into an email list. And that's that's just not how this works. So what are some of the top B2B marketing minds saying about attribution? Well, Tim Solo, chief marketing officer at Ahrefs, a company you would think would weigh heavily into attribution data, he posted on Twitter that the company doesn't actually track how many leads they get from their articles organically, or the CPA of running paid traffic to those articles. He said that Measuring those things would just be the tip of the iceberg. And even if the numbers turned out to be terrible, it wouldn't matter because they know what works for their team. In essence, they trust their gut. Now let's look at downloads with through that lens. Our downloads may be bad because, as I mentioned previously, maybe just the total number of people that would give a crap about our podcast is relatively small. Maybe we only need one person to listen to it and take action, contact our sales team, book a demo, buy a solution to justify the investment so far and for the next 12 to 24 months. It could also be indicative of a distribution problem. You might have an amazing show, but if you've got an ineffective marketing plan and no one knows that this amazing show exists, well then downloads could be a marker of that. Ultimately, the metric of download does not give you a number you can point to and say to your C-suite, look executives, here's the money. Which brings us to our central question. How can you get buy-in from the C-suite on launching a podcast? Let's go back to Lauren and how it began with her at Set Solutions. But first, a word from our sponsors. For many service and solution-based businesses, the idea of thought leadership is fundamentally misunderstood. It's the idea that taking out a piece of advertorial in a trade magazine or paying for a panel slot at a conference once a year is going to have an impact on the purchasing behavior of clients. Newsflash, it's not. 
Modern day thought leadership is consistently delivering a unique point of view on the challenges that customers care about in the places where they spend time. We at B2B Better believe there is a better way for brands to win business today, and it requires taking ownership of your message in the channels that you control. Our mission is to help companies develop, produce, and distribute memorable shows that build brand affinity and generate long-term qualified pipeline. If you ever considered launching a podcast to drive new opportunities for your business, you can book 60 minutes with me for free and no obligation to brainstorm what you need to develop, launch, and run a show that delivers actual business results, not vanity metrics. Simply visit www.b2b-better.com forward slash podcast dash assessment we'll also drop a link to that page in the description of this episode thanks we had events that we ran we kept that data who attended so you could go in and kind of correlate some deals to that but for the most part it was just making sure that that ran and also managing sort of larger things like national conferences. When I started, it was October of 2019. So no idea a global pandemic was coming and was going to keep this all at home. So at the time when we were just doing events, it wasn't really something that was on my radar. But once we were stuck at home and we had to switch to a content strategy, that was when the discussion came up around, okay, what do we do with all of this? How, how do we tell if it's working? Our buyer pool is actually pretty small. We do focus on enterprise, so Fortune 2000-ish companies. We are branching into the commercial space, but that's still pretty new for us. You know, as far as our actual buyers, like who's qualified, even that's a pretty small pool. It's typically a CISO, a CIO, maybe some sort of head of, of IT or technology, maybe a chief risk officer, but not a lot of people within organizations that are even qualified to buy from us. So small buyer pool, we are a hyper-regional. We're, we're in a couple of other states. I think we're in about 26 states as of right now, but mostly the total market, Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, and Arkansas. So very small buyer pool to, to choose from. So it's really a relationship-driven business. We don't really have any junior resources on our sales team. A lot of them have been in this industry for several years. Some come from the OEM side, some came from other bars or a combination of both. And a lot of them have built relationships with these titles over the last several decades. So historically, it's always been a relationship-driven business, which is why there was such a focus on event marketing and getting in front of customers before. But when that was no longer an option was where we found that pivot into digital and staying in front of our customers in different ways. So let's recap. Lauren and Set Solutions were targeting a small buyer pool. They were focused on enterprise accounts in a notoriously difficult sector to sell into IT. They were going after individuals that didn't have a lot of time on their hands. They were hyper-regional and they didn't have a huge amount of resources at their disposal to go out and run huge brand awareness campaigns. Also, most of the deals were based on existing relationships. So Lauren, in the face of a global pandemic, has to go out there and figure out, well, how are we going to reach these prospective customers? And how are we as a marketing function going to demonstrate our value 
in the context of driving the business forward. Is our audience, and remember CTOs, CIOs, CISOs, are they reading blogs? Are they hanging out on social media? And if they are, do we have the talent and the resources internally to really take advantage of that fact? Lucky for Lauren, she had a secret weapon in her arsenal, an executive who really believed in the power of podcasts. He said, now is the time to start the podcast. So we figured it out. I hadn't done one in the past, but after some Googling and some YouTube and figuring it out, we got the equipment out to my CTO and our co-host at the time. And we just hit record and started putting together some content. At the end of the day, all it costs you is, is time. So getting that out, the first version, not a lot of pushback on that. As we progressed and as we started trying to grow it into a bigger show and include more, we did face some of that pushback. You know, what about the downloads? What about the dollars invested in it? Like, what return are we seeing on it? But even with this executive buy-in, Lauren still had challenges. She was still getting grilled by the rest of the executive team on whether this was the right approach for them to take when it came to marketing their business. She was dealing with objections like, well, we can't gate a podcast. Who's going to host the podcast? It's taking us too much time. And yes, there's the downloads again. So what I want to do here is I want to offer some ideas and some tips on how as a marketing team you can go about measuring the value of a podcast that help the C-suite say, let's keep going. I think when starting out a new podcast initiative, what you want to be looking out for is qualitative leading indicators. And these are going to be primarily on your distribution assets as opposed to the full podcast episodes. What do I mean by qualitative indicators? I'm talking about markers that you can point to and say, this is having some sort of resonance with our prospective buyers, not reach resonance. And they could be things like the sharing of your social media clips. They could be comments, ideally questions, something that shows that your point of view is powerful enough, it's evoking a response. It could be DMs, either for the host or perhaps for other people in your business where the podcast is being referenced. These are all things that are inherently untrackable when it comes to scale, but are so vitally important in the early days to justify the continuation of a podcast project and the reaching of the six-month mark where you start to see positive outcomes from running a format like this. When it comes to tracking these markers, I actually think it doesn't have to be that complicated. Sure, you could probably invest in some expensive tooling to pull it into a fancy-looking dashboard. But actually, I feel that simply just adding a field to the CRM that asks or prompts your sales team to indicate whether the podcast has been referenced in the initial conversations can be useful and effective. If you are recording your prospecting calls, you can, as a marketer, kind of run searches in the transcripts to, again, find whether or not the podcast has been mentioned. Of course, self-reported attribution is also very important. So including a field on all of the forms on your website where people can tell you whether or not they've come to you through the podcast. That's also a very popular mechanism. Even just simply having a conversation with the sales team every single week where you're sitting down and you're presenting to them the roadmap of the podcast and what's coming up, what 
assets they're going to have at their disposal to knock on doors with and where you can also ask them questions about whether or not the podcast is being referenced by their customers that can also be a really effective way of starting to attribute whether it's having any sort of impact whether it's having any of that resonance so again all of these things are not very complicated yes they require some grunt work some manual heavy lifting but in the early days these are the things that you have to do in order to instill confidence with the c-suite Now, another thing that Lauren did to de-risk some of the efforts that were being put into the podcast was leveraging her marketing development fund. So the marketing development fund, in essence, was a pot of money that was awarded to her and Set Solutions by the partners for Set Solutions to go out there and market the business. And by marketing their business, they in turn would be providing benefit and value to these partners where there was a reseller agreement in place. Just to make this a little bit more tangible, a little bit more real, I'll give you a specific example. In my last role as an employee for a large enterprise solutions provider, we were partnered with almost all of the major cloud service providers, AWS, Microsoft Azure, Google Cloud. And these big companies would award us a pot of money on a quarterly basis to market our business. And by marketing our business, we would then be able to bring them into big enterprise deals that we were selling. So it was an incentive for us to go out there, market our business and the, and the partnership that we had with these big cloud service providers and a rising tide lifts all ships type of scenario. This is a kind of similar approach that Lauren took at Set Solutions. They weren't just doing a podcast, they were doing something unique with that podcast to drive value for their partners. Here she is talking about it. A lot of my marketing runs through MDF or marketing development funds that already exists within my partner network. And typically that is used for events. It's not very often that we use it for anything digital, but I think we saw a lot of that change when events were no longer an option. They started dumping those funds into SDR campaigns or meeting maker campaigns. Like we were seeing them invest those dollars a lot more into digital efforts. So as we moved into this version of the studio, and I, I really needed to show to my executive team that we could cover it, that was when we started pitching the idea of potentially getting sponsorships for the podcast. So from there, I made a pricing sheet with several different digital options. It's all very clear and very transparent about what's covered on that. You can see we've got options for webinars and videos and a few other things. But for the podcast specifically, it lists out that they would be the official sponsor of the episode. They would join us for an episode to discuss a topic relevant to their product. And then they get to end it with a product pitch. So again, very transparent, very clear. Half of that's going to go to studio costs. Other half is going to go towards paid ads to not only get the podcast and our brand out there, but our sponsor's brand out there as well. And then deliver some of those results we were talking about earlier, being able to show them some actual engagement metrics around the podcast. But I distributed that at my holiday party at the end of the year last year for our partners and received really good feedback. We have probably over 350 partners that we work with and that we resell, and they have tons of ready-made content available for us. So typically we roll with a theme. I mean, we partner up with a couple of vendors that work in that space and use a combination of their resources and ours to distribute on that theme throughout the month. People were excited to join. And I've already produced 
our first two paid episodes. Such a smart move. And again, something I haven't heard other B2B tech solution providers do before when it comes to launching a podcast. I think it just really helps to de-risk the initiative in the minds of the C-suite. You've got partners paying into a marketing development fund where predominantly that fund was going into field marketing. And you as the marketing leader within your business are going to say, well, we're going to start carving off a portion of that fund to fund the podcast, both in terms of the studio we're going to produce to ensure that we create a really high quality product and also the paid ads in order to promote that podcast to our target customers. And then we're going to return that value in kind to those partners and resellers who are funding the podcast by saying, look, let's give you a little bit of exposure. Let's help associate you a little bit closer with our company, get you on the podcast. And We'll run the ads of the clips that you feature in. You'll be listed as the sponsor. Essentially, we are going to act as an extension of your marketing engine. This helps develop their brand authority. It helps them achieve topic relevance, awareness, things that are harder to measure. But the leverage that you gain from featuring partners and influencers helps get you in front of your audience. And by implementing some of those techniques and tactics that we mentioned earlier in this podcast around how to start measuring kind of the early positive indicators of success with your podcast, it can be a really effective tool. Here's Lauren again with a specific example of a episode of the podcast that she produced with a partner that I think really drives this point home. The goal with the digital efforts, including the podcast, are very similar, getting their brand in front of our customers and also helping us boost it to a wider audience. We have brought customers on a few times. We've brought some folks on for very specific episodes that our customers have requested. So like a good example of that is we had a customer asking us about cybersecurity insurance, which is a rapidly changing market right now. It's not a service that we offer, but it is something that we are familiar with. It's something our clients need. So we synced up with an expert. We reached out to our own insurance agent, as well as some partners that are working specifically with cybersecurity insurance and put together episodes based on that. And I mean, that's really getting in front of our particular buyer is difficult. They're an executive level. They're not watching YouTube. They're not really hanging out on those. They're getting quick bites of information on LinkedIn. So we do distribute everywhere. We have YouTube channels. We're on all the different socials. We have a, a new website in the works, but we do have everything on our site as well. But LinkedIn is where we see the most traction with that. And then we are now starting to shift into paid views as well. Part of the podcast strategy is to start bringing in our partners and using their resources via marketing development funds to help us push the podcast and continue to drive downloads. So we're looking forward to see what the results are to start pushing those paid ads. At this point, the podcast has become a core part of the strategy over at Said Solutions. It's allowed them to create posts for their blogs. It's allowed them to repurpose webinars. It's enabled them to create sales enablement collateral for their commercial team to go out there and post on their own personal social media channels or to send to prospects directly. This one is really important and I think often underlooked by marketing teams that are running podcasts. If you can get your sales team behind the idea of running a podcast either as an account-based marketing play or as a sales enablement play, it is going to make your job much, much easier when it comes to justifying the investment to a C-suite. If you have sales in your corner saying, 
this podcast is giving us ammunition to go out there and re-engage contacts and to nurture relationships, you're going to be less likely to be in a situation where a CEO or a CFO is saying to you, what value is this actually delivering for the business? So now in Lauren's case, the podcast engine is revving. They're starting to see some results, but it's still not completely plain sailing. Even despite the early markers of success, she was still battling on two fronts. One, continuing to convince her partners that this was a good use of the marketing development fund. And two, finding ways to convince her leadership team that financially the podcast would be a viable investment over the long term. Here's what she had to say about that. But first, a word from our sponsors. Me again. If you're thinking about launching a podcast or a show to help you win new clients, better activate in-person events, conduct customer research, or build brand awareness, you're in luck because you can book 60 minutes with me to brainstorm what it will take to get started. No commitment, no charge. Simply visit www.b2b-better.com forward slash podcast dash assessment. You can also find a link to that page in the description of this episode. Thanks. As we move into these paid sort of sponsored episodes, for the last two, two and a half years, we've brought on partners at no cost. So now that we are requesting those marketing funds, they're requesting some metrics in return, which is completely fair. But they don't love that we can't track exactly who it is. So even as we start to see higher downloads, they don't love that we don't have emails, we don't have names. So this is not an uncommon scenario for marketers who are running a podcast program to be faced with questions from either CEOs or CFOs or board members or partners. How is this generating email addresses for my sales team to go out there and chase? Now, whilst I would never say that just collecting email addresses for the sake of collecting email addresses that you can bombard with cold outreach is a good idea, I do understand this idea around collecting first-party data and finding opportunities to nurture a brand to buy a relationship. And there are some ways that you can collect email addresses from a podcast, in my opinion. I think it just requires a little bit of creativity. One of the ways that you can do that, very simple way, is just create UTM links that are pointing listeners of the podcast to a gated asset. So it's UTM so you can track it. And what you're doing is you're essentially buying ad space from yourself. You are running ads as pre-rolls or mid-rolls during your episode that is pointing people towards a piece of content that they have to provide their email address in order to access. Some podcasts, B2B Better being one of them, we sell sponsorship to other brands. But in the weeks where we don't have sponsors, because it's not all the time, we sell ourselves that space. It's there, we might as well use it. So if you have that space, think about using it to promote a piece of gated content that will allow you to collect email addresses, but also importantly, track email addresses as attributable to the podcast. Another way that you can go about collecting email addresses from a podcast is that you can actually use the podcast to create a piece of gated or lead gen content. So say that you were interviewing CTOs from FTSE 500 companies. If you asked 20 CTOs over the course of an initial season, the same three questions at the end of the interview as you were wrapping up, let's say one of them was, what is going to be the biggest trend in your industry in 2024? Then over the course of that season, what you're doing is you're collecting 
primary research that you can compile and package up into a piece of lead gen content that you can promote via other channels or once you get there actually promote it via your podcast right as a piece of research that you are the only person you are the only company in the world that you own you've created a compelling gated asset off the back of your podcast that's another way that you can collect email addresses finally i've seen other businesses they basically repurpose their webinars which are gated and do require an email address in order to access as mvp podcast episodes so if you're already running a webinar program and you're thinking about starting a podcast think about whether or not that you can take that audio and repackage it in a way that makes it for a compelling podcast episode maybe it's like this podcast b2b better where you're picking out the choice moments of that webinar interview and then providing some additional commentary or inviting your CEO to feedback on it. And that way that you've actually got the email addresses baked in right from the very start. As you're then promoting this podcast episode, which is made up of the webinar, you can send it to all of your webinar recipients and tell them there's some behind the scenes content or some additional commentary and they should be your first listeners of the episode. So those are some of the creative ways that I think about email addresses and collecting of email addresses when it comes to a podcast and also how to better equip yourself to justify the existence of a podcast program with your executive team. Now, as we wrap up this episode of B2B Better, the final question I wanted to ask Lauren was, with a little bit of hindsight, if she could go back and start this all over again, what would she do differently? Here's what she had to say maybe figured out the sponsorship stuff early on, but I'm really proud of us for just starting. I was a fan of podcasts. I listened to a lot of different podcasts, but I didn't know how to create one. My background, I went to school for broadcast production. So I had a little bit of, you know, video and audio experience, but it's it's been a minute since I graduated. So I think if we would have spent a lot of time trying to make it perfect, trying to make it this, we never would have got there. We never would have gotten started. I, I needed proof of concept before I could get anywhere close to this. So I, I think if we could do it again, I would, again, just jump in, you know, head first and see what happens. But just to make the show a little better, I would like to include Multicam. So you can see I'm actually, I'm set up to have two other guests with me. I typically produce from behind a sound wall over there. So we can have up to four guests here in the studio. I would love to just make the show that much more interesting from a live stream perspective. And then outside of that, really just really starting to focus on those sponsorships so that we can get more eyes and ears on the show. This idea of launching a media brand as a B2B company, I think is only going to become more popular. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think as content becomes increasingly commoditized, particularly written content due to the rise of AI, investing in video and audio is a real differentiator. I also feel that if you are in a services or solution-based business and you're operating across long, complex sales cycles, then what you're really doing is you're selling expertise and credibility and just trying to ensure that you stay top of mind with your prospective buyers so that when that short window of sales opportunity opens, you are the partner that they turn to. And I think the only way to sell that credibility and to sell that expertise and to stay top of mind is by refocusing your marketing efforts on the creation of high-value engaging media. Set solutions under the guidance of Lauren, I think, are well on their way to doing that. 
I think that at the moment, there's a lot of focus around MarTech and sales tech companies that are doing this. But increasingly, we're going to see companies in different sectors and non-software sectors start to do this. And I'm really excited for that future. I want to thank Lauren again for coming on and sharing a little bit of wisdom on what it takes to start building a media program within an enterprise solutions provider. And I really want to thank you for listening to this episode. If you've got any questions or comments or any thoughts on anything we've shared today, you can email me directly at jason at b2b-better.com. I'd love to hear what you think. I'd also really appreciate if you've taken any value out of this episode, if you could subscribe or rate in your podcast directory of choice, or just share it with a friend who's maybe thinking about launching a podcast program and doesn't know where they should start. Uh, Thanks again to Tyler Wade for producing this episode of B2B Better, and I will catch you next time.